Well, hello. Um, I'm, I'm Simon. This is Gwen. Hello. hello. Yeah, so you're allowed to talk, okay? <laughs> All right, that's, that's allowed. And um, we're going we're gonna to open up uh, the next section of 1 Peter that you're in. So Gwen is going to read the seven verses we're going to look at. I'm then going to bring out one or two points from those seven verses that are hopefully helpful to you, whether you are married or not married, have been married, never been married, never want to be married. Uh, whatever your situation, hopefully we'll bring out some points that will help you and, uh, and then we will handle any questions that you text in about this passage, hopefully about marriage, about relationships and Gwen will give you all her wisdom and I'll smile a lot. Okay, so that's how it's going to work. So Gwen's going to read our passage to us. This is a bit of a risk asking me to read this passage this morning, considering the amazing amount of um, improvised comedy that we've been watching over the last 48 hours. Uh, so, uh, As it's written, please. <laughs> I'm a bit of a performer, so there we go. Here Stop we go. it. <laughs> Read the first line. <laughs> Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Amen. So that... If any of them do not believe the word, they, be, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of a great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right. And do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thanks, Gwen. Well, it is always a risk doing Q&A as part of a preach. We've done it a few times down in uh, East Grinstead and uh, in a number of different formats. So, so today, Luke will vet some of those questions, hopefully. And, um, but we have done it at home. I've done it at home where the, uh, the question literally just appears on the screen. And that's the first time I've seen it and the first time that anybody has seen it. And uh, there was one occasion where we'd done a number of uh, deep questions. I'd been particularly wise, as you can imagine. And, um, and then this question came up that just said, Dear Dad, can we have a dog? <laughs> uh, to which the answer is, will always be, no. I love other people's dogs, um, but we don't want one ourselves. So this is a passage about marriage. When I was growing up, these were the sorts of sermons that I really disliked. Uh, as a single teenager with, at that point, no hope of ever getting married and no real wish to get married, I just thought, oh, great, another sermon from a white, middle-aged, middle-class man about marriage 
how much fun can I have with this? And um, that was because of my experience. My parents were divorced, uh, not, not messy, but, but no divorce is clean. Those of you who have come from divorced families or have gone through divorce yourself, there's no such thing really as an amicable divorce. It's hard work. There's pain within it, isn't there? And, and so the subject of marriage was hard for me to handle. It was hard for my parents to hear. My mother uh, remarried and reconnected with church. My father never remarried and never really reconnected with church. The church didn't really know what to do with a mid-40s divorced man. Which group did you send him to? And so it's a tough subject and we recognise that. So I'll try and handle it as sensitively as I can. I've now uh, had the privilege of being married for 25 years. Gwen and I celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary this October. Gwen was about 13 when we got married. And we need to find a way, friends, to be honest about marriage in the church and to honour marriage in the church. We need to be able to talk about it. You know, I know that in the room today there'll be a whole mix of experience. Some of you are single and would love to be married. Some of you are married and would love to be single. (laughs) We need to be able to talk about it because marriage is in important to God and uh, we need to find ways of building community as local churches so the married and the unmarried can belong totally to that community. Let's see how we get on. Hopefully you have been here over the last few weeks. Maybe you're a guest just today, but the church, I know, over the last few weeks has been working through 1 Peter and focusing on the hope that it represents. Peter is anxious that the future hope that has been won in Christ is a reality for those who are in Christ in the here and now. Peter sat at the feet of Jesus and heard him say to them, this is how you pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that is Peter's hope that the kingdom of God, the hope that the kingdom of God brings, which is there for eternity in glory, becomes a present reality for the church, even the church when it's under pressure. Peter knows that the hope of heaven is worked out in the nitty-gritty of daily life. Peter knows that God's perfect plan for bringing the hope of heaven was through the incarnation. It was through Christ. And that is still God's perfect plan. We are in Christ. Hopefully you, you got that through worship. It's not actually that we stand on the outside looking in. We actually stand on the inside of Christ looking out. We are hidden in Christ. We are hidden in garments of praise and garments of righteousness. Christ is our stronghold. And that is the only hope we have for God's plan for marriage is the fact that we remind ourselves we are hidden in Christ. What is the context for marriage in the Bible? Well, it's Genesis 1 and 2. It's Genesis 1 and 2. 
Peter would have known his Old Testament. He would have learnt it by rote. He would have learnt Genesis 1 and 2 off by heart as a child, as a young man. He would just be able to recount it. And he would have known that in those early chapters when we discover that God, out of his goodness, created a very good world, he created a model for community called marriage. And marriage existed for two primary reasons, if you can have two primary reasons. Two halves of the same primary reason, if you want. One was for community. It's not good for man to be alone. Friendship's good, isn't it? You notice that? Friendship is good. When we are lonely, it really rocks us. We can be lonely on our own, we can be lonely in a crowd. It's not good for man or woman to be alone. Marriage was created by God to bring community to the heart of his creation. But the other reason that marriage is important to God is that men and women together declare the image and the glory of God to the world. It's not just about friendship, it's not just about family, it's not just about sex or holiness. No, it's about declaring to the world who God is. Male and female, he created them. In our image, let us create them. Male and female together reflected the glory of God in those first early chapters. And that is still our calling, friends. Our calling as individuals, our calling as couples, our calling as church communities is to reflect to our world the glory of God. And therefore it's not surprising that when Peter teaches us on marriage, both when he speaks specifically to a wife and specifically to our husband, he uses this phrase, in the same way. If you remember nothing else from this morning, remember that phrase. When you revisit these verses in the week or when you happen upon one Peter in a year or two years or three years, notice that phrase in the same way. Peter says it twice in this passage. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate. Or as we will see, bring honour to. What does it mean? In the same way as what? Well, in the same way as Christ. In the same way as what about Christ? In the same way that Christ humbled himself to incarnation. In the same way that Christ, who had all the rights of heaven, all the rights of glory, in the same way that Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant in the same way. Friends, if you want to have great relationships, if you want to have great marriages, if you want to be great parents, if you want to be great friends, if you want to be great brothers and sisters, you want to be great workers, focus on this in the same way as Christ. Know that we are hidden in Christ and we are called to be like Christ. In fact, the Spirit of Christ is transforming us every moment of every day from one degree of glory into another. We are being made more like Christ. Ephesians 4, the ascended Christ appoints ministries to do what? To equip us for works of service that we might grow up into Christ. 
You cannot be a better person outside of Christ. You can try really, really hard. The problem is when you try really, really hard, when we fail, which we will, we just feel really, really bad. Try less hard, you'll feel less bad. But you'll still fail. Because the only way that we can fulfill our calling in Christ is to remind ourselves that we are called to be like Christ. And we have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ in us, in the same way. You see, the problem is, friends, we do not want to submit. You might think, oh, I do, I quite like submitting. What do you like in a queue? or a traffic jam, or in the post office, or when someone steals the only parking space outside your house. We don't like it. We don't actually want to look to the needs of others. We know we should, because we're Christian, and we should be nice. We don't want to. We don't want to respect others and put them first. When we hold the upper hand, we do not want to give way. Friends, we live in a selfish world. And at core, we are selfish. And therefore, the only way we get through is to bring ourselves inside the one who was totally unselfish. The one who had totally the upper hand. The one who should always have come first made himself last. In the same way. Friends, if we don't get hold of that, all the other teaching that Peter gives us here is irrelevant. It just becomes law. It just becomes works. It just becomes, if I do the right things, it becomes like one of those horrible marriage books that gives you your ten top tips for the perfect marriage. And even if I get at least seven out of ten most weeks, that will be good. Now, there are great tips in books like that. It is good to listen. It is good to learn how to communicate. It is good to put the problem out there rather than here between you. And they are good things, but ultimately... We need to recognise that we are hidden in Christ and we are called to be like Christ and we are being made like Christ. And when we start with Jesus, when we get a bigger glimpse, a bigger look of who Jesus is to us and what he did for us, then the rest of this passage will begin to make sense. Then wives... We can submit ourselves. Because we've already won. See, in Christ, we've already won. Peter has already told us, hasn't he? You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. You know, I don't think the Queen has a problem letting Prince Philip go first. She's the Queen. Do you know what I mean? You know, they get to a door and she thinks, I'll let him go through first. doesn't really bother her. You know, because she knows who she is. She's the queen. You know, she knows with a word she can just have him got rid of. (laughs) She's the queen. You see, if we know who we are in Christ, we know we've won. 
I don't know how you feel if you lose your wallet. I, I'm, I'm a man, I lose my wallet about four times a day. Okay? And, 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 and I, I worry okay, when I lose my wallet. Because okay? there's cards in there, and those cards give access, and there's cash and all the stuff, and all, all the rest of it. But you know what? If I won the lottery tomorrow, I wouldn't worry if I lost my wallet on Tuesday. It just wouldn't worry me, would it? I got home and thought, oh, I had £20 in my wallet and I've lost it somewhere. Oh, I wouldn't, it wouldn't bother me. If I've won the lottery, the £20 doesn't bother me. Peter has said to us, you are co-heirs with Christ. You are a royal priesthood. You were not a nation, now you are a holy nation. You are righteous. Well, surely that releases us to submit. We've already won. The King of Kings has submitted himself to the cross on our behalf that we might be seated in heavenly places with him. Our eternal purpose and, pre and presence is secure. We are being transformed from glory into glory. We are going to live forever. We're going to do things unimaginable. He's going to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. Where's the issue with submission? We've won. The ability to submit comes from the fact that we are already victorious. We can submit ourselves to one another, wives to husbands, and if you look at the passage in Ephesians, husbands to wives. Submit yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we've already won. And therefore, we, because we've won in eternity, we can invest in eternity. Notice here, it doesn't say it's wrong to have your hair done. Okay? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say it's wrong to have nice clothes. It doesn't say it's wrong to wear jewellery. just says it doesn't matter. That's great, isn't it? Having a bad hair day? doesn't matter. Yeah? Did it not come out the colour you hoped? It doesn't matter. Okay? Oh, what do I look like? It doesn't matter. How releasing is that? Just imagine that, men and women, if it actually didn't matter what you look like. Because you've got eternity with God. It's not wrong to have your hair cut. Okay? Sometimes it's helpful. <laughs> okay? But it's not the most important thing. If you invest more in haircuts than you in the kingdom of God, that's the problem. In the UK in 2014, we spent £16.6 .6 billion on cosmetics. Okay? £16.6 .6 billion. Is that wrong or right? But it's probably not the best use of £16 billion given we're just going to get old and go grey and lose our hair. Right. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate 
as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing hinders your prayer. When Peter says of wives submit to their husbands, the culture that he lived in would probably not have batted an eyelid. It was accepted teaching. A woman was effectively chattel. She was the uh, possession of her husband. That was the accepted teaching at that point in history. I'm not saying it's right, ladies. It was just the context of the time. So somebody from outside the church would have read this letter and gone, yeah, I can agree with that. But what Peter says here is radical. This is radical. This verse screams equality. When Peter says to husbands, honour your wife, that's radical in that time and place. That's revolutionary. Consider it is better translated honour or literally lift up alongside. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying in Christ a man is an heir and a woman is an heir. In Christ a man receives the glories of heaven and a woman or a wife receives the glories of heaven. Now we take that for granted, hopefully, but when Peter writes these words, that is radical teaching. Because of it, the church should be the pinnacle of equality. Young, old, male, female, married, single, husband, wife, we are all heirs with Christ and members of a holy priesthood. We all have an inheritance in Christ. Equality in Christ is meant to permeate every area of life and relationship. Mutual submission, equality, invest in the eternal. That's what Peter is saying. And just to finish this bit, they all have eternal impact. Did you notice that? They're missional. Peter says the unsaved partner is won over to the gospel by the behaviour of the saved partner. Peter is reminding us that we are the only gospel that many people will read. Talk is cheap, friends. Talk is cheap. Behaviour transforms. What's more, we invest in the eternal character, unfading beauty. Now it's not wrong to do your hair, but it's better to invest in unfading beauty of a changed character, of sanctification and holiness. An answered prayer. Do you notice that? When we honour one another, when husbands honour their wives, we see our prayers answered. Men, how many of you would like to see your prayers answered more effectively? I would. That's simple. Honour your wives. If you're not married yet, honour everybody. There is eternal significance. Okay, we've got 20 minutes. Luke, do we have a, que- a question? We have some questions. Some questions. Great, hello. Um, 
Okay. Um, just uh, could we? Do you want to just give a bit of clarity on the, uh, the wives as weaker partner, weaker vessel? Do you yep. want to just give some definition to that? What that means? Uh, okay, on this, yeah. So um, when you look at the Greek, it's, it's the implication is a little bit about is physical. So the Greek word there is very much physical, and so Peter is saying, you know, there is a there is a difference between men and women, and the implication is within the sexual relationship within marriage that a husband should not force himself on his wife. That's the that's, when the reading I did. That's what that's what came out. So I mean, you may not be aware, but up to the last. 15, 20 years, it was impossible for a husband to be prosecuted for rape against his wife. That was in, in our law until very, very recently. And so in, in that context, a, a wife did not have uh, freedom over her own body within a marriage. And so what Peter seems to be saying is even, in, even though you're married and therefore you have the right to have sex with your wife, you should not abuse that right just because you are physically stronger than her. Uh, yeah, so it's not a it's not a comment on. I think we read things like that and see them immediately as the Bible thinks women are worse and yes. stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Great. So, um, how do you think these principles apply to couples who aren't yet married? Yep. Do you think they apply to couples <laughs> who aren't yet married? <laughs> so, saying they're in some degree of relationship. Yes. But they're not yet married. What do you think? Um, do you want to call it? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, it would have been better for me if I had applied uh, these principles when I was single in my relationships with women and in our relationship when we were going out and then engaged. I think there's... God presents us with his best... And so it's always, I think it's always best to try and seek the character and the gifting of where you would like to be. Does that, does that make sense? So, so you, you want to be holy when you're single and holy when you're married. So you want self-control when you're married. So when you're married, you want to have self-control within your marriage and how you might look at, at other people. And so it's good to learn that before you're married. So I think it's always good to, to practice now the principles you would have if you're then going to be married. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. So I think they do apply, that's what I'm saying. So yes would have been the simpler answer. Would have been, but yeah. you're a yes. pretty sure. I think also that what you said earlier about um, being Christ, being Christ to everybody, you know, no matter who the other person is, is so important, isn't it, in this, in this um, context? Mm. Um, so I've got a couple of questions on the similar theme, um, one of which I've, I've slightly lost, so let's go with the others. So um, basically we've got a, a, couple about the, a couple of questions about where the dynamic isn't that the husband and the wife are both Christians who are fully signed up to this, who are saying, I wanna, I wanna, I'm in Christ and I want to do what Christ wants me to do. Yes. So it could be uh, one of them is a Christian, one of them isn't could be um, one of them uh, has had, this has been, this, they've heard this teaching badly in the past and are now unsure about it, that kind of thing. How do, you, how do you work out when the two of you aren't in agreement with these principles? Okay. But you're married. But you are married, yeah. 
So I'm assuming because I'm, okay. there are people who, are, who aren't Christian, but the, the question's being asked by a Christian saying, how, how do I do that when my partner isn't interested, okay. doesn't believe, thinks it's wrong? You have to, I mean, I think the Bible is very clear and, and psychology is very clear. You can only control yourself. So the key is to always focus on what you can do. It, it's easy for all of us to think, if, if this person were more like Jesus, or if this person were better at being a husband, or if this person were better at being a wife, or if this person were better at being a boss, or if this person was better at being a friend, I would then be better. And once they change, that will enable me to change. That is an unbiblical standpoint. The biblical standpoint is always, what do I have control over in this relationship? And I must bring what I'm in control over under Christ in this relationship regardless of the response that I get. Which is what, what um, Peter says here, it's what Paul says in Corinthians, doesn't he? He says that the onus is always on the, the, the believing spouse to be as close to Christ as they can and be the best spouse they can be. So they, well, that's number one. And the other thing is to pray, and the third thing is to talk. Communication is everything in any relationship, not just a husband and wife relationship, but in any relationship, good communication is everything. And good communication takes vulnerability, and vulnerability means taking risks. And sometimes what we need from God is the strength to take those risks. I was just going to say, you didn't really expand on prayer, but um, um, what's outside your sphere of influence, you can't... You, you have to pray about it because you you can't you haven't got the capacity within yourself to pray to 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 uh, do anything about it. The only thing you can do is pray and yeah, seek God's um, yeah. power over that situation. And there are some great. I mean, the the Stormy O. Martian books, Power of the Praying Husband, Power of the Praying Wife, very very helpful because they they just enable regular prayer. Uh, and, and you know, and that works. We know, don't we, if we've got an unsaved friend or an unsaved partner, when we pray, God does stuff. And when we pray, God changes us. Um, a question that kind of picks up and goes a little bit deeper on the how does this submission thing work out. Um, if you've got, for example, uh, uh, so a Muslim husband says to his wife, I don't want you worshipping Jesus. You've got, let's say, an, uh, an abusive husband mm. saying, to her, saying to his wife, you're not to tell the police about this, that kind of thing. How, does, how do we understand submission in those kind of okay. contexts? I, mean, I think they're both very different contexts, yeah. the two you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, pastorally, as a, as, a, as a pastoral team, if a wife comes to us and says, I am being emotionally or physically abused in my relationship, we would instruct her to separate herself from that situation. That's not saying separate in your relationship or get divorced, but where there is physical or regular physical or emotional harm, you can submit to your husband without submitting to that harm. You really can. And you should. You know, it, it wouldn't be right. You know, and historically in the church, there have been times where, where women have been physically uh, harmed and abused and have stayed in that situation out of a misunderstanding of submission. Um, so... And you're seeking to submit, but you are keeping yourself safe. And, and that would have to be, and that's why community is so important. 
That's why you need communities, both in the large like this and in small groups, where people are honest and share honestly and, and there's accountability and integrity. Um, I think where you have an unsaved partner, whether that partner has a faith or not, where that unsaved partner is saying, you must not worship, well, you, you have to honour them. So if we had a, a, a woman come to us at Jubilee and they said, my husband doesn't want me to come to church, we would instruct her to be obedient to her husband in terms of her attendance, but that doesn't stop her worshipping in the car, doesn't stop her having her own times of prayer, doesn't stop her going on to online, online church and attending online church through... you know. So I think we, we would always try with, with, with husbands, wives, children where there is conflict and where there's a direct command, you must not do this, you have to honour the relationship. You have to honour the parent and you have to honour the, the husband or the wife. Similarly with a wife. A wife said, I don't want you going to that church. I don't want you disappearing every Sunday morning. We would say, well, you need to honour them. The Bible teaches you to honour your family and we would want to be creative in finding ways for that person to be able to grow in God and, and worship. So there needs to be some back and forth on that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't, I, and the thing is, that, would be, that might be different in different settings as well. The, 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 the challenge with questions like that is that the answer you give might be very specific depending on the specific relationship. You can't just say, this is always right, this is always wrong. That's... Okay, let's move on to a couple of other things. Um, uh, can marriage cause you to be less effective in ministry for God as you now have commitments to another person and you may have children uh, in the form, uh, after that that take up your time? Yes, but it doesn't have to. Anything can. Promotion can. You know, university can. You know, finals can. Um, cycling can. <laughs> You know, there, there's loads of can. stuff. There's loads of stuff. Yes, if you... And there are... I think for us, what we've had to do is recognise what season we're in. So in terms of marriage, in terms of we've been blessed with children, yes, what we've been able to do has been affected by the season that we're in. But that doesn't mean you're less effective for the kingdom of God. But it can be. There are... You, you do come across situations and say, well, well, for instance, I'll go church planting once we've had kids, or I'll go church planting once the kids are at school, or I'll go church planting once the kids have finished school, or I'll go church planting once they've gone to university or finished university, or once the grandchildren have started school, and people get to the end of their lives and realise they've just gone from season to season not doing anything. So these things can, and sometimes, yes, being single gives you a whole load of freedom. Because if you're single with no dependents and you're you know, renting a house and somebody goes, oh, do you want to go to Mexico for six months to work at a local church? You can go, oh, yeah, all right. That's harder to do if you're married with a mortgage with three children. But not impossible. And I think also marriage can open up opportunities for God to do stuff in your life. Um, when you're, you're living close with somebody day, day on, you know, day in, day out, um, God really, you know, um, works in your life and also gives you opportunities that you might not have had as a single person to, to glorify him and to work through you as a team. Great. And to follow up with that, how, how can um, uh, people who are married encourage people who are single um, in this 
um, even if not in this specific area, but in, in the general thing of their godliness. And I, I think work community. So we've had, um, we've had people living with us throughout our married life. Even when our children were very small, we had people living with us. We've tried to make sure we have a range of friendships. Uh, we try and make sure that when we're in small groups or community groups that they're not very type specific. They're not just always a group for marriage, here's a group for singles, here's a group for the young. I think community helps most. Yeah. I think as a single person, it's, it can be harder to take risks. So, because you haven't got someone cheering you on. And we need to get better at cheering one another on. And creating communities where we say, come with us. We're going to go and do this. You know, we're going to go and do a week's mission. Why don't you come with us? And, and do that in family life as well. You know, if you're just doing stuff as families, you're going to the cinema, you're going for a picnic, you're going to a show at the festival, just to say, well, we didn't buy four tickets, we bought eight. Who wants to come? And I think that helps, it just helps community and helps in, encourage. Great. Um, obviously, this letter is all about the hope that we've got to come, but obviously, when we talk about marriage, there's a delight in that. How do you ensure, someone asks, uh, that you love God more than you love your spouse? Gwen, how I mean, you... Gwen, that must have been difficult for you. <laughs> Hello. You ha the reality is there will be moments that you love your spouse in the here and now more than you love God. Okay? Um, and therefore you have to be aware of that. You have to, for me, I have to, a number of things I need to remember. One, I must invest in both relationships. I must invest time and energy in my relationship with God. And I must invest time and energy in my relationship with Gwen. I must not take either of those relationships for granted. Because as soon as I do, they'll suffer. And so I, so I'm, I must do that. Um, and I, must re I need to remind myself that although Gwen is amazing, she's not God. And therefore, she will never be able to meet every one of my felt needs. But God can that I can be fulfilled. The more fulfilled I am in Christ, the more fulfilled I will be as a husband. And that's key. And so it's, it's, it's reminding yourself of that. And ultimately, it's, it's, in, it's making sure you invest time in worship and prayer and, and intimacy with God as well as intimacy with your partner. I think you just stole what I was going to say. But um, so, And having been married for a substantial amount of time now, I think that's even more important because... Um, you, I think as, uh, as young people we have expectations and hopes about being married that that person will fulfill everything that we need and I think it's so, so important as you go through your life just to keep that relationship with God so deeply rooted for yourself um, especially I think as women just to make sure that you, you have a love relationship with God in a way that... that doesn't compare, I guess, with yeah. your husband. I think, and I think if you're blessed with children, a big danger is you worship your children. Mm. And, and, and you have to watch yourself. You know, that sometimes when you have kids, you, you invest your hopes and your dreams 
You know, I didn't play for England, but maybe my son or daughter will. Uh, that would not be an no. aspiration for many people up here. Yeah, I understand that. But luckily for them, there's a much easier <laughs> option available. To be honest, to be honest, I probably could play for Scotland. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but that is, so seriously, so if you're, if you're engaged or, or married and thinking, well, maybe we'll have kids, that, I, I think that is one to watch. Worshipping your partner, because you, once you live with somebody for a few years, you're well aware they're not God. <laughs> okay? Gwen became aware of that very early in the honeymoon. Uh, <laughs> But I think your kids, if you're not careful, they really, you know, we live in a culture where we can worship our children, where education, qualification, job becomes the be all and end all. And God, you just need to take a back seat because that's where, and I think, that, I think that's a real danger. So. It creeps up on us, I think. Yeah. Our kids are amazing. <laughs> um, so last thing we're going to wrap up with this um, just, uh, just a little bit for you on terms of how do you do that together in terms of your, your relationship with God together is that something do you spend time praying together mm-hmm. reading the Bible together or do you just talk about the fact that you don't or <laughs> um, do you want to answer that thanks um, we, we are good at praying together in a crisis so when, when, when things are challenged, money, job, kids, illness, we pray. We are poor yeah, at the moment at investing that mutual time. We've grown, I think both of us have grown in our own personal time with God, Bible study, praying, worship, we love worship. Um, but I think probably if, if we had one joint goal for the next 25 years of our marriage... You know, if we sit here in 25 years' time, we'd want to be able to answer that question by going, do you know, we have, we have quality times with God together. Um, and I think that is, a, that is a challenge for most couples, especially when you have work and church commitment and family commitment. Sometimes it, it's, you, have to, it's going to, you have to find a time that works. So for us, I'm a morning person, Gwen is an evening person. So I will always spend my time with So my goal would be up at 6.30, let's spend time with God together. Okay? For, for Gwen, that's just a non-starter. Yeah? Isn't it? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it's, you have to work it out. And we, we've gone through better seasons, and I think we would love to be going into a better season now. Is that fair? We, we um, spend time walking, and sometimes things like that help us. You know, you know when you talk with somebody, someone, when you're walking, it's sometimes easier. I think we do a lot yeah, of that. Do. And uh, so, yeah, that's one way we've developed. Yeah. Great. Well, we're out of time. Um, appreciate we weren't able to deal with all your questions, which I'm sorry. Thanks for sending them in, and thanks for answering the guys. Do you want to finish by praying? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Why don't you just lift your hands for God right now. Father God, we thank you for what you have done in and through Christ. We thank you that our inheritance is secure in him and we get to spend some of that inheritance now. And Lord, we, we pray for fresh deposits of your Holy Spirit 
for every one of our relationships, for our relationships with our parents, for our relationships with our friends, for our relationships with our colleagues, for our relationships with our spouses. We pray, Lord, that out of our hiddenness in Christ, we would be able to honour one another as we grow up in you. Lord, I pray for every marriage here. I pray for every challenge. I thank you that you do delight in marriage. And I pray for every marriage in this church that you would strengthen it by your Holy Spirit right now. I pray for every person here whose spouse is at home right now and doesn't want to come. Lord, I pray for a fresh deposit of faith. Pray for fresh strength. Pray for fresh awareness of your Holy Spirit in that household. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Great. Well, um, let's just say thank you to Simon and Gwen for being with us. Very blessed us today.